0: Welcome to the ABR Podcast, where some of Australian Book Reviews contributors discuss major issues or read their reviews and creative writing. My name is Jack Khalil and I'm the digital editor of ABR. If you enjoy these podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those aged 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for a digital subscription or $50 for print plus digital. Scott Morrison has now been in office longer than any of his four predecessors. And yet, what do we really know of the man? In today's episode, political historian and commentator Judith Brett rounds out our picture of the Prime Minister by patching together recent profiles of the elusive ScoMo by journalists Annika Smethurst, Lech Blaine and Sean Kelly. While Morrison's fixation on public relations is well known, Brett identifies a host of other traits that have helped shape his political fortunes, from his habitual blame-shifting to an ability to compartmentalise the Christian morality governing his private life. Behind the veneer of ordinariness lurks a pragmatic opportunist whose avoidance of scrutiny is itself now being scrutinised. This essay is the cover feature of our upcoming November issue, available to read in full from October 29. Judith Brett.
1: Scott Morrison has now been Prime Minister longer than any of his four predecessors, Kevin Rudd, Julia Gillard, Tony Abbott or Malcolm Turnbull. He's won one election by the skin of his teeth and he faces another by May next year. So what sort of man is he and how good a Prime Minister? These three publications give us slightly different takes on him. Annika Smethurst's The Accidental Prime Minister is a journalist's biography, well-researched and able to draw on a rich well of interviews with Morrison and his friends, associates and colleagues, but light on interpretation. Lech Blaine's Top Bloke's The Larrikin Myth, Class and Power is a stylish quarterly essay which situates Morrison's carefully crafted public persona of ScoMo in the class dynamics of our blokey political culture. Sean Kelly's The Game, a portrait of Scott Morrison, Black Ink, is a tour de force, the most perceptive and complex account we have of our current Prime Minister, with insights into what makes Morrison tick that I'm still trying to assimilate. Smethurst's title is something of a misnomer. True, the events of August 2018 that led to Turnbull's ousting were unexpected. Peter Dutton's brewing ambition hadn't been evident to most of us, but, as Smethurst shows, Morrison was an ambitious man with a sharp eye for the main chance. When he saw it, he took it. Though the contingencies of events and personalities might be accidental, there was nothing accidental about Morrison's eagerness for the job that seemed to fall into his lap. Smethurst has written the first full-length biography of Morrison. The contours of his personal life are already well known. His upbringing in a close community-minded family, marriage to his teenage sweetheart, Jenny Warren, their shared religious belief, their long wait for their two miracle daughters and their close and happy family life, completing the circle. Morrison reminds us of them often as touchstones of his ordinariness. Less well-known and more problematic is his work history, revealed in detail here for the first time, his three jobs in the tourism sector, which all ended unhappily, and his more successful four years as the State Director of the New South Wales Liberal Party, These show the strengths and the weaknesses of Morrison's modus operandi. He works hard and he trusts the data, with a passion for polling and focus groups. He is also controlling, secretive, careless about transparency and conflicts of interest, and, before he landed the top job, prone to going to the media over the boss's head. Smethurst's last chapter is on Morrison's poor handling of the women issue, which blew up when Liberal staffer Brittany Higgins accused the government of silencing her after she reported being raped in Parliament House by a fellow staffer. Morrison's women's issue is not just his bumbling of the public politics. It is also about his difficulty in working constructively with women colleagues, his tendency to bully them and put them down. The blokiness of Morrison's public persona is the subject of Lech Blaine's perceptive quarterly essay, Blaine grew up amid the true blue blokes in Ipswich, Queensland. When he looks at the bloke now in the lodge, he sees a fake, a class cross-dresser, a well-educated, white-collar, Sydney, eastern suburbs boy trying to pass as a working-class battler. The giveaway is Morrison's opportunistic defection from Toffee Rugby Union to Larrikin Rugby League as his political fortunes rose. Morrison's target is the male working-class vote, that John Howard wooed from Labour and that's been crucial to federal coalition's electoral ascendancy in Queensland and New South Wales. Of the 1996 election, Blaine writes that too many voters who couldn't distinguish Labour from Liberal in economic policy voted for the party that offered them a sense of belonging and seemed to respect who they were. Cross-dressing goes both ways and Blaine confesses to being something of a class cross-dresser himself a working-class boy passing for middle class as he acquires an education. As with the great writer on British class culture, Raymond Williams, this gives him the double focus needed to understand how class works and the writerly skills to communicate his insights. It also gives him a family and friends for telling anecdotes, like his liberal-voting foster brother John, who sees Labour as the party of the people who went to uni. Our class archetypes, says Blaine, are seriously outmoded, with miners earning six-figure sums able to pull the class card at the slightest hint of redundancy, while women and migrants working two or three poorly paid casual jobs barely figure. Morrison is a self-described pragmatist with few ideological barriers to adjusting his positions to shifts in the public winds, including the vagaries of public opinion, which he checks often. This opens him to regular accusations of a power-hungry lack of principle. But in a democracy, what voters think matters, particularly when you're leading a party whose members are generally more conservative than mainstream Australians. For Prime Ministers, though, attending to public opinion will only get you so far, and Morrison often seems to be outsourcing his decisions to the mob rather than leading, avoiding responsibility with his habitual blame-shifting And we're left wondering if he understands what the job requires. After reading Sean Kelly's The Game, I am sure he doesn't. When Chris Fike first approached Sean Kelly to write a book about Morrison, Kelly said no. Morrison just wasn't interesting enough. In fact, he was slightly repellent. Kelly agreed with David Marr, who said in the 2020 discussion of Catherine Murphy's quarterly essay, The End of Certainty, We knew enough about Morrison, the man, not to want to know more. Then Kelly thought some more, and he thought hard. We already knew that Morrison disliked scrutiny. How had he convinced us that there was nothing worth seeing? In 2015, when Turnbull made him treasurer, Morrison was barely known beyond the political class. If he was, it was as the hard man who stopped the boats. He needed a reset, and ScoMo was born, the suburban dad with the cheery smile who loves his footy and cooks a Sri Lankan curry for the family on the weekend. Footy and curry repeated over and over to guarantee his ordinariness. Kelly compares him to a novelist's flat character, able to be captured in a sentence or two and never needing reintroduction. It was as if he were crafted by Charles Dickens, or a focus group. As Morrison told Sherry Markson of the Daily Telegraph, People are interested in what you think about the footy or what you cook, because that's their life and that's what they think about. To be sure, being recognisable is important for our political leaders, but it is not all we need from them. We also need them to take responsibility, to be competent and to be able to think. Morrison's blame shifting is already well established, but Kelly reveals another more sinister way that Morrison evades responsibility. As he cooks a Sri Lankan curry for Annabel Crabbe's kitchen cabinet, she asks him about the difficult decisions he had to make when he was immigration minister from two thousand and thirteen to fourteen. To the well-worn answer that he was sending a message to the people smugglers, he adds, "What should I have done? Not stop the boats? I'm pleased that in the things the prime minister asked me to do, I've had some success. He did it because he was asked." both claiming the achievement and distancing himself from it in a move that splits off his dutiful working life from his private Christian faith and its obligation to be compassionate, or at least to try. What about competence and thinking? Kelly subjects Morrison's speeches, doorstops and interviews to close reading, and he concludes that they frequently border on the absurd with their cheery platitudes, contradictions and non sequiturs none of which seem to perturb Morrison in the least, even when journalists challenge them. He will deny that he said things that are on the public record, say that he doesn't listen to gossip, waste time on extreme views, is not interested in that line of inquiry, or perhaps just pick up his briefing notes, turn his back and walk off. One could conclude from this that Morrison is not very bright, but this would be too easy. He is clearly an intelligent man, Being treasurer is not for dullards, and as the 2019 victory shows, he has an exceptional strategic intelligence when it comes to electoral matters. Hence the aptness of Kelly's title, The Game. The problem is not brain power, but where it is directed and more worryingly for the man who is our prime minister, where it is not. First, it is not directed far beyond people like himself. Morrison is firmly anchored in his own view of the world. So are we all, more or less. But Morrison is at the more limited end of the spectrum, writes Kelly. When Morrison thinks about Australia, he simply doesn't think about people whose lives are very different from his, and he believes there are enough of them to keep him in power. Nor does he think much about people beyond our shores, and has never shown interest in our external environment, though this is a lack none of these authors explore. Second, it is not directed much beyond the present. In an interview with Catherine Murphy for The End of Certainty, Morrison describes himself as having a flow brain. This is a pop psychology term for the intensity of concentration on the task of the moment, being in the zone when all else falls away. Kelly is puzzled by Morrison's capacity to deny past events and wonders if he really has forgotten them. Perhaps... As he moves on, his attention fully absorbed in the present task, the past really does drift off. He is not a man subject to haunting. Nor does the future have much reality, if we take his slow response to the dangers being unbleashed by the planet's heating. So, we have a Prime Minister with little understanding of chains of consequence beyond the management of immediate issues. And even here, the management is mainly that of the marketer and public relations guy, concerned with avoiding reputational damage rather than solving the problem. Every now and again, reality breaks through the image management, fire, disease, rape, making his limitations plain for all to see. But how to understand them? That is the question. And Kelly answers it with subtle, probing intelligence and lucid, readable prose.
0: Thanks for listening to the ABR podcast. We hope you'll join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to ABR? Subscriptions start from just $10 per month for digital. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Jack Khalil and Clancy Balan, who edit the podcast, as well as our contributors, who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.